Welcome to Anxious Laughter, the podcast about my life, my memories and the thoughts in my head. This time, we're going to talk a little bit about early memories. Now, early memories start for different people at different ages. I know some people claim that they can remember being born. I'm not sure I believe that, but I can't. My first memory comes a few years later. I was at nursery school. The nursery was in Port Sunlight, the village where I grew up, and was a stone, double-fronted building over where the car park of the garden centre now is. was a, a building with ground floor windows full of toys enticing to children and very imposing building I remember. Anyway I was there one day and during the morning I became upset because my dad had told me he was going to take me shopping in the afternoon and I I was concerned, shall we say anxious, that he might go without me. And so I cried and I cried and I became so upset that Mrs Jones, my teacher, walked me all the way home. She walked from the nursery with me, holding my hand all the way through Port Sunlight Village to my dad's house. Now, of course, when we got there, it was morning and my dad was still at work, but I'd become so convinced he'd forgotten and gone without me that, of course, seeing an empty house with all the lights off was the last thing I wanted to calm me down, and I became more and more upset. The memory stops at that point, me standing outside the house, holding hand with Mrs Jones, and her in her woolen tartan skirt with a tightly permed black and white hair and I don't know what happened. It was the day before mobile phones so we couldn't call each other to find out what was going on. But it's very very clear in my mind I can picture us standing there outside the house. I mean the only problem with the memory of course is that it didn't happen. Now something happened I'm sure but that didn't happen. Mrs Jones was maybe still is a real person but she was my teacher a few years later she was my teacher in second or third year of primary school not not at nursery school and she couldn't have walked me home from nursery school and also the nursery wasn't where I thought it was there was a building there in Port Sunlight when Port Sunlight was built it had all the amenities that the workers were supposedly going to need and that included a swoon pool and a gymnasium which were where the garden centre car park now is. If you look on Google Maps, there's a Port Sunlight website that claims you can see the outline of the swimming pool still in the tarmac of the car park. I can assure you, you can't, but it was there. The swimming pool went before I was born. I don't remember that. But the gym hung round until the late 70s. So potentially that was the building, but it wasn't built of stone and it didn't have windows at the ground floor. It could have been the building, but I think I'm getting mixed up with the building that's actually now the visitor's centre opposite the art gallery in Port Sunlight. And I think the window in my mind is actually the shop window from Bagpuss. The further we go back with memories, the less reliable they are. And to get to the next memory that I have any detail about, we jump forward a few years. And it gets me onto one of the most important topics, a topic I can't avoid when I'm talking about mental health. Life's a tiring old thing, and yet so many people make it even more tiring by doing exercise that they don't need to do. 
Sometimes people go out for a run, they're not trying to get anywhere quickly because they end up exactly where they started. They just go out and run round and come home again. There's no point to exercise. It doesn't get us anywhere more quickly and it's more effort than sitting on the sofa. And yet we encourage kids to do it. We tell them it's good for them and we even suggest that maybe they'll enjoy it. In fact, we assume they're going to enjoy it. Schools enforce it for everyone and getting out of doing it takes a lot of effort. We'll come to that a bit later. But back at primary school, exercise was a pretty basic thing. There was a sports day. You'd play silly games and go in silly races with beanbags and eggs on spoons. And otherwise, PE seemed to consist of just running around the playground, burning off energy as quickly as possible. I don't remember any attempt to corral us into structured games and sports. I remember we did swimming lessons, but we'll return to that subject another time. I don't recall much from that age at all, really, though, so who knows how right I've got that. But I do remember, from time to time, the school in Port Sunlight Village would allow the kids to go paddling in the boating lake. Now, we called it the boating lake, and it used to have boats on it, but actually... It was a decorative fountain at the end of the Rose Gardens overlooking the main entrance to the art gallery. The statue in the middle seemed, from memory, to be some people, maybe mermaids, holding fish and all shooting water from the mouths. Now, not all the mouths used to shoot water when I was a kid, but I think in recent years they've fixed it so they all do again. They used to sail boats on it, you know. Sometimes boats with sails. I've still got one of them. And sometimes radio-controlled boats. Don't have any of those anymore. But it didn't make much difference what type of boat it was. I mean, the boat would always conk out in some way in the middle and somebody would have to go wading in and get it. But paddling was discouraged in the fountain. The base was rough stone and there was probably some truth in the story that people used to throw rubbish in there and the chance of cutting yourself was probably quite high. But every now and then, the school would organise volunteers to clean up the bottom of the lake and allow the pupils to go splashing round in there for an hour or so. I only recall it happening once at my time in the school at Port Sunlight. So maybe it wasn't annual, but I didn't get to do it anyway. I was ill. In infant school days, I wasn't ill that often. It would become disturbingly common later on, but this day I was too ill to go to school. And I was at my granny's house where I was during the day if I was off ill. And I really wanted to go to school. I wanted to go and splash around with the other kids. In my mind, I can picture myself standing forlornly at the window, looking at the boating lake and pleading to be allowed to go out there and splash. I mean, I'm aware that's far too romantic an idea of what actually happened. But back then, it was clear I was happy to join in with the exercise. So whatever physical shame came over me and frankly still hasn't left me, hadn't come by that age. And I'm guessing that age was around six now, let's be truthful about one thing. I was quite a chubby kid. Now, my family then and now will say, no, you weren't. I appreciate the sentiment, but I was chubby. Never obese, but I certainly wasn't slender at any time in my childhood. Not even when my teens came and I grew relatively tall. As I grew taller, I grew ungainly rather than slender. Despite the memory of wanting to splash around in the boating lake. I don't recall much in the way of physical activity as a young kid. But certainly by the time secondary school came along, 
I'd grown to hate structured exercise. When I was younger, I don't think I compared myself with others. It must have been a blissful time being able to walk through the world without feeling inadequate to everyone you see. But enough with the melancholy. It's true that whatever shape I was in as a kid, I didn't have anyone in my life who would make fun of it or make me feel bad for my lack of prowess physically at that age. That's what changed when I hit secondary school. They say that kids can be cruel and they say that bullying is one of the worst things someone can go through. Well, let me tell you, PE teachers can be crueler. And who do you turn to when they're the bullies? At first, at secondary school, I joined in with PE. I really did try. I'd get changed every week at the right time. I'd appear in the gym in my gym kit and I'd jump over things, climb things. I'd do my best to get around the obstacle course. I wasn't the only kid there who was physically inept, but I seemed to be more prone to falling over than jumping over anything. And I was tall, I had long limbs, and I guess pratfalls are funnier when the flailing limbs are comically long. I remember at one point I found myself hanging about a foot off the ground upside down from a beam, lacking either the strength or the coordination or either to get myself the right way up. I just let go. I fell to floor with a thud. I was uninjured, but I was the object of humour. This time, the teacher said to me, you always find the hard ways to do things. He tried working with me. He sent me homework to try doing a forward roll. I still can't. It didn't feel at the time like the laughter was meant to hurt. That came a bit later. But it was obvious that I didn't have the ability to keep up with even the most basic exercises in the gym and so I stood no chance on the rugby field. Now, rugby was important at the secondary school I went to. Important to the detriment of almost everything else. But in the eyes of the PE team, rugby was everything. If you were good at rugby, you were worthy of their attention. If you weren't good at rugby, at best you were ignored, unless you were really bad, in which case you'd be ridiculed. And I was really bad. For the first winter season I tried, I went out on the field during games, I'd run around and I'd try to get involved, but I was ignored by everybody. I lacked the speed, the coordination and the confidence to actually take part in the game and I was quickly relegated to the group of boys who just hung around not really playing rugby at all and we just ran around the sports field for an hour until we could go back inside and get back to proper school. I think had I been ignored by the PE staff, I could have learned to enjoy that. It was an hour off. I still hadn't learned to hate my body and I still hadn't learned to hate my lack of coordination. And I still had the freedom to jump around and run around without feeling embarrassed. But the PE staff and the boys who played rugby shared one thing and that was they enjoyed laughing at the people who weren't in their gang. And when somebody is as obvious a target as me, why wouldn't they pick on me? Whenever there was a new exercise to be demonstrated, I'd be the one singled out to the front to come and give it a go. The PE teachers knew I couldn't do it, but it'd be funny to make me try. I could trace the day when things started to go wrong with me and PE. We were inside the gym and it was one of the PE lessons where we were supposed to be having fun rather than playing rugby. The gymnasium had 
climbing frames at the side and they were folded flat against the windows leaving the floor completely clear and today it was piggyback races now i was paired up with the largest guy in the room i was the second largest guy in the room so maybe it made sense but maybe it was done for the comedy value for the first leg of the piggyback races i was kind of on his back and he ran up the room and then came back and then we had to swap and he tried to jump on my back and that was never going to work. I did not have the strength to lift him off the floor and we collapsed in a heap and he landed on top of me. Specifically, he landed on my foot. I could hardly walk. So I hobbled back to changing rooms and by the evening my back was aching like hell and my toe was swollen. Of course, I got home and I was asked what happened and a letter was written to the school and the school responded. And what came back from the PE teacher was that it might not have happened had I been behaving sensibly. Now, I remember the letter clearly because it finished by saying, but that's a matter for conjecture. And it was the first time I'd ever come across the word conjecture. To be honest, I'm not really sure what the word conjecture means, but let's go with it. In any case, it was obvious that I was being blamed for what happened. It's hard to know what I felt at the time, but when I think back to it now, I feel sad. Up until that point, I'd been genuinely crying. I put myself through the humiliation every week. And then when it went wrong, it was my fault. I don't think it was an instant thing, but from that moment on, I never really did PE at school again. At the time, it was the right thing to do because just thinking about PE was enough to make me take all those days off sick. I was genuinely ill at the thought of going in to do it every Wednesday. And so I had a note from my parents to excuse me from PE and it was the same note every week. Eventually, it was laminated so that it wouldn't get torn in my pocket. I'd stand outside the changing rooms, note in hand, and the PE staff would walk past. They eventually gave up even talking to me. They didn't look at the note and they just tell me to go and do something else and usually I go to the school library and read. A year or two later, I did PE once more. Just the once. It was a cross-country run and we had some Olympic runner or other at the school to start it and so the PE staff could get their photo taken in with her and they get, get into the local paper and she'd be on the start line. Of course, neither the PE staff nor she did any of the running. I did, though. I got all the way round the course and back to the school. I came in stumbling and tired and I got across the finish line and the first thing that happened was the PE to teacher told me that next time I could do with a sports bra. That was 30 years ago and you'd think that 30 years would be long enough to get over something like that. And in some ways it is, but in other ways, when you're young, your image of yourself is just forming. Your body and how you feel about it's just forming. If a potato is growing in a stony field, then as it's growing, it grows round the stones and those stones become part of the potato. You can't get the stone out of the potato without cutting it in half. The sense of deflation and humiliation I felt that day still inside me. It's a stone buried deep. I can't get it out. And so it's no surprise that even though I rarely think about that story and I never tell it, the feeling inside is so strong that I still don't feel like I belong in a world of exercise. 
I didn't really do any exercise for about 15 years after that. I mean, at the time, neither of my parents could drive, and so we walked a lot, but I didn't really do structured exercise. I still do walk a lot. London's a much more walkable city than most people seem to think. It's a large city in population terms, but in terms of actual size, especially Zone 1, it's quite small. The tube's hot and stuffy and busy and walking's nicer. Even in the cold winter weather, I tend to walk. And so a combination of walking a lot and a still relatively youthful metabolism meant I didn't really get that big. I remained on the slightly chubby side of healthy for many years. Never got any bigger. But in my late 20s, I decided to go and see a personal trainer to see if I could get into this exercise thing. I really can't remember what my motivation was at the time, but I went along to see a personal trainer at a little studio on the middle floor of an office block just by Barbican. During the first few sessions, I felt ill with the exertion. It was like car sickness, but eventually I came to enjoy it. I didn't feel particularly different as a result of it, but I started to enjoy it. I've been in and out of gyms ever since, always with a personal trainer and always in a private training studio rather than a public gym. My confidence not there yet. The weird thing is, people who know me casually would see how often I go running and how often I go to the gym and presume that it's something I'm really into and enjoy, but I've never really overcome the feelings towards exercise which started at secondary school. And I do go to the gym, usually twice a week with a run on Sundays, and I used to run much more than I do now, but my knees have got too old and so... Once a week is all I can do. The gym's a weird place. There are those, like me, who keep themselves to themselves. The idea would not be to have anyone else there at all if I could, but my PT tends to act as a good proxy if there is anyone else there, and I never tend to have to have conversations with the other people in the gym. I can be in my own little world. But there are people who seem to demand the attention. Now, when you've been in a gym long enough, you know that there are times when you're supposed to breathe in and times when you breathe out. And sometimes breathing out can be noisy, but there was a guy in a gym I used to go to who used to grunt and groan his way through every exercise and then throw the weights on the floor at the end with another groan. It was obvious he just wanted us to notice him. Although I'd already taken a dislike to him, to be honest, because in the changing rooms, they were quite small. There was a few hooks around two walls of the building and there was a bench underneath those hooks and it was quite small so you'd think it's appropriate for a person to hang stuff on a hook and maybe a second hook if you've got a suit but nobody needs to arrange all of the post-gym clothes in a line around one side of the bench and take up seven hooks worth of space hanging each item on a separate hook. Nobody should do that. Gym changing rooms are weirder places than gyms in some regards. I mean, I don't think anyone's particularly comfortable in a changing room, and I think everyone puts an imaginary screen around themselves and tries to ignore the rest of the world. But at this gym I used to go to over in Chiswick, there was a guy who would walk into the showering place with his gym kit on and then take it off and hang it around the place while showering. It's pretty hard to ignore. I mean, this is the same guy who, how do I phrase this? would stand naked with one leg up on a bench, shall we say, drying himself from underneath with the communal hairdryer. Nobody needs to see that. 
But when I am in the gym, I still can't relax. I can be in the best possible mood on my way, but as I get towards the gym, the feelings start to rise, telling me this is not a place for me and it's not where I belong and no matter how hard I work, I'll never be in any decent shape. And the anxiety grows and grows so that any excuse is enough for me not to go. A slight ache in my ankle, a slight niggling piece of work I could get on with instead of going, or just the fact it's a bit wet out and I don't want to leave trainer prints all over the gym floor. I did that once. It was a school orchestra, not a gym. I didn't want to go to this orchestra. It was Saturday mornings and that was the only day in the week that I got to spend with my mum and it cut into the day but apparently going along and playing was a condition of taking the free violin lessons and I remember once it was at the comprehensive school and we walked across the grass to get there and I had muddy shoes and I remember noticing halfway through the rehearsal, I mean I guess that's what it was, I don't think we ever gave performances, everything was a rehearsal but anyway I looked down at the floor and I was surrounded by a muddy patch and I thought people are going to know that's me. So instead of cleaning it up or styling it out, I gradually tried to shift myself and my music stand to one side, gradually getting closer and closer to the next violin player along. So eventually I was sitting right up huddled next to them and a foot or two away was a muddy ring on the floor that I could deny all knowledge of. Anyway, back to the gym. I've had a few personal trainers over the years. Some I've been with for ages and some I've only had a few sessions with before giving up. It's nothing to do with them in most cases. I'm sure the ones I've parted ways with are very good trainers. But as soon as I get past the initial enthusiasm that comes with starting a new exercise regime, the sessions become tough. I start to miss the sessions at short notice because anxiety kicks me into the point that I can't go. I'm feeling too ill to go. And then... The embarrassment about the fact that I missed and couldn't explain to the trainer why and that makes me more anxious and the easiest thing is to give up and move on and given that I'm already uncomfortable at the gym adding embarrassment to it and anxiety makes makes it so much worse and eventually I miss so many sessions that it's simply not worth it and so I move on. There are hundreds of personal trainers out there in London some great and some not so great. Finding one is easy but also difficult they all promise things and it for me it's a case of finding somebody I can work with but there's one trend that I've noticed recently amongst personal trainers that I don't like and this is the trend for personal trainers to become online fitness coaches the idea seems simple they claim that you speak to them on Skype once a week and they give you some nutrition advice in between on WhatsApp and you can meet your goals magically. It's expensive, but they don't tell you that at the beginning. Now, one personal trainer I briefly worked with in person had taken this up as his new thing. So I had the Skype call with him. I didn't know about it at the time. I was curious to investigate and the call was quite intense. He started off by asking me specifically what about my body shape I didn't like. Every aspect of how the fact I didn't like my body was affecting my life. There were very personal questions in there about my life and my relationship and how my weight was impacting it. And he nodded in the right places and then told me that he understood and then told me that he could help me. And 
if I signed up for a few grand for 12 weeks, I'd, I'd get this miracle of his help and it would make all those things go away and my life would be so much better. But of course, three grand's a lot of money, so I could be one of his scholars and that would mean that I had to commit and in return for that commitment, he would give me a 50% discount, but I had to sign up today to do it. And I realised halfway through the call that the hard sell was coming on and even though I knew that, I'm not entirely immune to it. I very nearly reached for my credit card. But I didn't. A few weeks later, still looking out for a personal trainer, I had another very similar call. Now, this guy had advertised as a personal trainer quite close to the office. And then when I contacted him, he said, I don't do face to face. I do this other thing. Maybe I could have a Skype call about you. At the time, this didn't ring any alarm bells. I went along with it. I had the call with him. Do you know what? It was exactly the same call, to the point that I knew what question was coming next because it was the same questions in the same order. The hard sell doesn't work on me. I've got a good sense for those kind of things, and I hate being manipulated into buying something, and I have a reaction against it. Now, to be fair to the second guy... I was up front with him. I said, look, I've been through this script before. And then he did try to put something together that was different and try and work with me. But by then I felt like there was no trust. I don't really respond well to being told what to do. I never have really. And so a personal trainer who just puts me in front of an exercise machine and says, do this and you'll lose weight. It's not going to work for me. For me, it's about working with me. Anxiety is a very large thing for me in the gym and it's important that we can work with that and around that, not against it. There are some exercises that make me feel incredibly self-conscious and sometimes we swap them out for things which don't make me as self-conscious and that's fine because we achieve the same goal and as I get more confident, I'll be able to do more. But exercise for me is a constant battle against the lack of confidence, which is constantly telling me that I can't do it and that I don't belong. And every time somebody tries to encourage me, it makes me more likely to stop. Nothing puts me off doing something quite as much as being told, you can do this. I do put myself through it though, and I guess that somewhere deep down I know exercise is good for me. And besides, given how big I am at the moment, can you imagine how big I'd be if I did no exercise at all? And somewhere within me, there is the strength to stick at it. There is the strength to learn new things. Now, I want to go back to PE teachers for a bit. I... I'm off script now. <laughs> I have been listening back to what I said and I think that I have to talk a little bit about the PE teachers and there's no part of me that thinks that those three guys were doing to me what they were doing deliberately. There's no part of them that wanted me to feel like this so many years later. There's no part of them that wanted to put that lack of confidence and that self-doubt into me. There's no part of them that wanted me to start laughing at myself as much as they were laughing at me. But equally, I think they have a responsibility. They had a responsibility. 
I guess they thought this was part of toughening me up. This was part of making me a man, whatever that means. It's done exactly the opposite. You know, I wouldn't want to meet them now. If I did, I don't know what I'd say to them. But you know, I, I did go looking for where they are now and it turns out that one of them still working at the same school. He retired, well, actually he retired last month at the end of the school year. He was head of PE. I wonder what he'd think if he heard this. Anyway, it's time to move on. And considering we're talking about school and teachers, let's talk about school. That was episode two of Anxious Laughter, written, recorded and produced by me, Adam McNeil. This episode was recorded in Rettendon on the 8th of August, 2019.